Hi, everybody. I was telling, uh, I was telling Anthony and, and the musicians and singers last night that I just thought that this set of songs were just so precious and so wonderful. Not that it isn't every week. I, I think it is all the time. But there was something special about, um, about this, the songs, especially the second song. It was a new one that we just uh, learned or, or are learning. And it's uh, just such a great song. And, and, and last night was um, a unique night for me. And I, I, uh, I, um, I don't want to get too transparent because I don't want to get uh, sobby up here. But uh, I want to share with you, so with, with transparency... Uh, kind of the situation uh, last night. Uh, um, have you ever felt like this? Kind of what I said last night. Have you ever felt like a, you just didn't want to go to work? Ever felt that? I mean, you just it just didn't want to go to work. And last night was that. I I, I was standing in the back and uh, uh, going through certain things and um, just thinking, Lord. You don't need me to do this. Of all the people in this building right now, I would probably be the last one you would ask to, to give a message. I just kind of felt that way. And um, as we went through the songs, uh, I started praying and, and talking with the Lord. And, and I heard either my, myself say, uh, since when did you ever think that you we're good enough to come here and uh, do this. When did you think you would be the one that I would choose? Um, whatever you do, you do by faith anyways. And that's the truth. What I do here, I don't do to please you. I don't do to please anybody but the Lord. It's always been my motive. It has forever been my motive. I have... Uh, I study and I try to prepare so as to please the Lord so that what I try to say would be exactly what he would want me to say in the situation. And so while I was back there singing the songs and praying and, and having this pity party where I wanted to just flee, I just wanted to run out, well I couldn't run, but I wanted to, uh, I wanted to leave the building and, 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 and the Lord said, get up there. I mean, uh, it's never been you anyways. What you do, you do by faith anyways. It's always been me anyways. And so, just be obedient. And I think that this message is about that. In fact, I'm certain it is now, after preaching it two times and now coming here with you for the third time on this particular message. It's a, it's a place where Paul has been hammering home, hammering home that you and I cannot work our way to heaven. It's impossible. He has already told us in the third chapter, the 10th verse, that not a single one of us here, not a single person on the face of this earth we can search the earth, the earth worldwide and we will not find a person righteous. Paul says, there is none righteous. No, not one. And so what we need to find out and what Paul is trying to drive home into our heart of hearts is that we need the righteousness 
that has been given to us by God. And that righteousness that has been given to us by God has been set in stone. If you were here last week, you'll recall that I spoke about Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel out of the fourth chapter out of the book of Genesis. God had told Abel and Adam and Eve, Abel and Cain, the family, how they were to come to him for the forgiveness of sin, what they were to bring to him upon the altar. And Cain, if you remember, brought to the Lord God the fruit of the ground, what he grew, that's what he did. He, he took care of the family's nourishment. He, he fed the family. Abel, his brother, on the other hand, rose the flocks, and he took care of the spiritual side of the family because there always had to be, as we learned in Levitic, Leviticus, the shedding of blood for the, the redemption of our souls. So when Cain brought to the Lord the fruit of the ground, which must have been magnificent, the Lord said to him, Cain, I have no regard for your offering. In other words, your offering is of no value to me. I've already told you how to come. And then Cain, it says, became angry. And the Lord says, why are you angry? If you do well, the Lord said to Cain, will not your countenance be lifted up? Will you be okay? And then he said, be careful, Cain. Sin is crouching at your door. It's desirous for you. You better master it. Well, since that time, the Lord has set in stone how mankind was to come to him for the forgiveness of sin. And it's always been blood. In the Old Testament, it was the blood of the animal. And then we learned last week, there was a transitional period when Jesus Christ came onto this earth. Jesus Christ went to the cross, gave of his life. When he went to the cross, died on the cross for our sins, shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sin. And from that point forward, his death was good once and for all. It would not be needed be animals, plural, shed and their blood for the forgiveness of sin. There was just faith in what Jesus Christ did upon the cross for us. And that's what Paul has been trying to, to make sense of to the people in Rome because they have been pushing off and pushing off and pushing off this whole idea of faith. And let's grant it, it's faith is not easy. It's not an easy comprehension. Do you mean to say, I remember my father asked me this, and, and he asked me this more than once. He says, you mean to say, no matter what I've done in my life, all I have to do is ask Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sin. That's enough. And I said, yes, Dad, that's enough. And he said, well, what about, what about someone on, in jail on death row? And, and, they're, and they're going to be executed. And on the way, they ask Jesus Christ into their heart. You mean to say everything they've already done is going to be forgiven on that walk to be executed? And I said, yes, Dad, of course. He forgives us. That's a hard concept for people. I get it. I, I understand that. Just faith. And that's the beauty of of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that God has done it all for you and he has done it all for me and he loves us. He loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever of us would, would, would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so that's the beauty of, of where we are today in scripture and I want to read it to you. Now I have a little bit of a dilemma, not big because I'm going to sit down. But I went to, uh, called a doctor, 
and said, uh, hi, Doc. Doc Stroman's here. God bless you, Doc. I love you. How's your heart been doing? How you been feeling? Great. Great. So glad to see you. Love you so much. Love you so much. And may you too. So I called the doctor and said, um, um, what's the situation? Can I stand and give the message? I feel more comfortable standing. And doctor said, no. No, uh, you need to sit down because uh, you can damage what has been done to your knee if you stand on it. Okay, all right. Uh, I can do that. I can sit. But I bumped into another doctor, and foolishly I said to him, can I stand? You know, why would I ask? What, what was I trying to do? So I asked him, he says, oh, no problem. You can stand all you want. Your knee's strong now as it's ever going to be. So I'm in a dilemma. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit down just in case. Uh, because what's going to hurt me to sit down another week? And what if, and, and all of that, you probably know. So I'm going to sit down, although I feel pretty doggone good. And the Lord's been very gracious uh, to me on this knee situation. So thank you so much for being here. This is going to be a very, very special service, in my opinion, because of what we are going to be studying. Now, I want to ask you a favor. I want to read through with you uh, again chapter 9, verse 30 through 32, and then I want to jump into chapter 10, read the three verses that we studied last week, and then I want us to get into where we are going to go this week. And we're not going to study those verses we did already last couple of weeks, but we want to we want to refresh our memory. What is Paul saying to us? And then we're going to see the meat, the absolute meat of what Paul wants to say in Romans chapter 10, verses 4 through 10. Let's start with chapter 9. Paul, in verse 30, is telling to the people of Israel what about the Gentiles he is saying. He says in verse 30, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. So the key here is the word righteousness. They obtained righteousness through faith. How? Paul is going to explain beautifully in chapter 10, starting with verse 4. But let's read on. But, he says in verse 31, what about Israel? What about them? They pursued a law of righteousness, but they did not arrive at that law. Why? Verse 32. Because they did not pursue it. They did not pursue this righteousness by faith. But they did, though, it was by works. In other words, they went after this law of righteousness as though it were, as though they were able to work their way to God so that they could appease God, make God pleased with them, so to speak. So let me read verse 32 again. Why? Why did Israel not arrive at that law? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. And in so doing, it says at the end of verse 32, they stumbled or they missed the stumbling stone. That stumbling stone, of course, is Jesus Christ. And you would naturally miss Jesus Christ if you were trying to win your own way to heaven. If you were trying to, to 
make your way right with God, then what would be the necessity for, for Jesus Christ? And they stumbled over him or missed him in the process of trying to find righteousness. Make sense? I hope so. Very, very important. So Paul says in verse, chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is for their salvation. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. In other words, they have a, a passion for God. And I'm sure that Paul was thinking of himself. I mean, he had a zeal for God. He, he persecuted the church. He had a zeal for God. But, rest of verse 2, not in accordance with knowledge. Didn't understand what they were doing. For not knowing about, verse 3, not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Now, here it starts. Here is the very essence of why we study the Bible as we do. Verse 4 to verse 10. Let me read it with you. Let us pray and then let us go over these verses. They're dynamic. They are dynamic, I'm telling you. Verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Moses wrote that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness that is based on faith speaks thus. Don't say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is, who will bring Christ down? Or don't say to yourself, verse 7, who will descend into the abyss? That is, who will bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? Here's what it says, verse 8. The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It is in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. He says in verse 10, For with the heart... A man believes, or a woman believes, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, a person confesses, resulting in salvation. This is one of the great places in all of Scripture, people. It is one of the pure, most wonderful places of understanding and knowing how to walk with Christ that you'll ever read or you'll ever study. It was really interesting in the last service. I don't know if the person's come back into this service or not. There was a gentleman who came here from another uh, religious denomination, another, actually a cult. And God turned his heart around during our service. It was amazing. It was amazing. He came up to me. I was crying. And I thought he was crying because I was crying because he was crying. And, and I says, I'll be okay, don't worry. He says, oh no, it's not for you. I'm crying for myself. <laughs> Figure. Um, and he told me that he, uh, all of a sudden, all of this trying to work his way into heaven became real. And he really kind of grasped it finally. 
and he's looking forward to next week already. And if we do nothing else during this, this week of service, if we reach someone like that, that's, that's plenty. But who knows, maybe there's someone in this service that needs to hear what God wants to say to us. Father, uh, we read your word and, and we stand back in awe. I do, I know everyone else does. We just stand in awe of how when we study it as we do, and we take it and we build it upon one upon another like building blocks, Father, we see the wonderful point that, that you made through Paul to the people in Rome and then had him write it down so that we would understand exactly what it is that you are saying about faith, about works, and about righteousness. So, Father, would you please lead us? Thank you uh, for last night. In the midst of my despair, Father, you lifted me up. And you taught me very clearly, Father, that it's not, the issue is not me or my despair or my uh, blessings. The issue is you. It always has been. It always will be. And so when I prayed last night, it meant so much to me and it, it always does, Father, when I ask that you would move me away from this, this place. Would you hide me, Father, behind the wonders of your word? Would you open up our eyes, each of us, so that we might behold wonderful things from your law, from your Bible, so that we might hear from you and not the speaker? Let me not stand in the way of, Father, what you want to say to anyone here, myself included. Pray you will bless us, Father, as we study your words together. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, we learned from last week that far too many people on this planet Earth discount or ignore the righteousness of God. Namely, they, they ignore Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ, as we're going to learn in a moment, is the very essence of the righteousness that has been given to us, people who are not righteous, so that we might stand before God with the righteousness of His Son, so that we will be right before God. And so the people, some will ignore the righteousness of you, Father, trying to seek or trying to establish a righteousness of their own, much like Cain did, as we studied last week, which we found out is impossible. None of us, the Bible says, is righteous. Not a one of us. So though... People try to work out, Father, our own righteousness. We either then miss, as Paul says, or we stumble over your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we saw from Paul's writing, Father, in Romans chapter 10, verse 2, we saw that it wasn't as though th th these people didn't care about you. No, in fact, the Bible tells us they had a zeal for you, dear God, but they didn't have it according to knowledge. That is the knowledge that has been given to you and me by God. Instead, they sought after God on their own terms, their own knowledge. And in so doing, they stumbled over Jesus Christ. Father, we know for sure that you have set in stone the way to, to know you. And that is, that is, we come through blood. We come through the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Paul has already declared that 
they sought after righteousness, the law of righteousness, but they didn't arrive at that law because they didn't pursue it by faith. They tried to do it as though it were by works. And that is a critical mistake that so many people make within quote-unquote religion. They pursue religion, they pursue God, but they try to earn it their way. They, they don't take the time, as we try to do here, to study the Word of God so that we understand what is it that God is asking of us. The one thing I plead with the, the leadership of our church, whatever leadership we have, which is phenomenal, uh, the, the people that are helping us carve a direction, is it's so that we don't set up traditions. We don't set up things that, that we have to do so as to be right with God, but we just know and understand what the Bible has to say and understand what the Bible has to say about Jesus Christ and glorify Him with all of our hearts. We'll be in good shape if we do that. So Paul writes in verse 4, and he starts this off absolutely magnificently. He says, Christ, verse 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, and that is, has pure faith, belief, trust, faith in Christ. Christ being the end of the law, Dr. J. Bernie McGee says that means he is the goal, he is the purpose, he is the very standard of, that you and I are trying to reach towards, Christ. He is the end of the law for righteousness to those of us who believe. In other words, we don't have to chase after the law of righteousness anymore. It's the, we have it through faith in Christ. You see, the Mosaic law was given to lead people to Jesus Christ. I've always said, you've heard me say this over and over again, if you read the Bible and you start feeling good about yourself, then you misunderstood what the Bible is saying. The Bible is not written to make you and me feel good about ourselves. The Bible is written so that we understand that God is awesome. He's an amazing, wonderful God, and He loves us so much, and He loves us in and while we were yet sinners, He sent His Son to die for us. And that's what the Bible is telling you and me, that we are sinners that have been saved by the grace of an almighty God. So the law, as Galatians, Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, he says the law became our tutor. In other words, the law taught us to lead us to Jesus Christ so that we might be justified. The word justified means just as if we'd never sinned, just as if I'd never sinned by faith, not works. The Bible doesn't save you and me. The Bible leads you and me to Christ so that we may be saved by faith. So it shows us, the Bible does, our need for a Savior so that we might come to know, understand, and trust Jesus Christ for who He is. You know, it's interesting. It isn't until a person acknowledges their own unrighteousness, in other words, their own sinfulness, until then, that person will, will never really see a need for a Savior. Never have a need for someone to liberate us from our sin and provide us with God's righteousness because we don't have righteousness on our own. Listen, this is nobody. You're not going to be able to effectively present the gospel to another person until that person becomes convinced of the damning effect that sin has upon their eternal soul. 
I said over and over again in, in, in some, I don't know how many years ago now, uh, 1973, almost 40 years ago now, I accepted Christ as my Savior, March 12, 1973, more than 40 years. And I always said that I had one trait as a non-believer that was awesome. I mean, I had a, it was the best trait I have. And my trait as a, a non-believer was that I knew that if I were to die, I'd go to hell. I knew that I was a sinner. It was the best trait that I had. Nobody had to convince me that I was a sinner and that I needed a Savior. I just, I just didn't, couldn't comprehend how, how what Jesus Christ did some 2,000 years ago would have any merit in my life. I, I couldn't figure that one out. But once a person realizes that truth, that, there is a, that we have a sinful nature, that we are, all of us have sinned, and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. It is at that time that we start to understand what the forgiveness of Jesus Christ truly means, and what salvation then has a chance to become real to us. And then, as it says in verse 2, God's knowledge becomes like our guide like our tutor by faith. So in verse 4, when Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, it is at this point that, 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 it, that Paul is explaining to us that righteousness comes through Christ and that comes through belief. He is the end of the law of righteousness. It's true, Christ died to fulfill the law. His perfect and sinful life did that. But his dying and his fulfilling the law does not accomplish for you or for anyone else on this earth saving righteousness. That has to come through each individual person choosing by faith to ask Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. And so, as is indicated at the end of verse 4, Belief and faith in Christ brings an end to a sinner's futile search for their own righteousness, their own works, their own earning their way to heaven, which is a futile attempt to fulfill the law of God. We can't do that. So when a sinner like myself back in Hawaii receives Christ, I also receive the most precious gift that God could ever give to a person, and that's the righteousness of Christ fulfills my heart. It brings me at a place that is at peace with God. Paul uses the term law throughout the 10th chapter as the most general sense. He's talking about law there as the totality of God's commands, God's requirements under the Old Testament scriptures. And those who are trying to please God to obtain salvation through any legalism or works, it's a vain journey, Paul is saying. Because the best righteousness that a person can muster up in and of themselves before coming to Christ is worth, well, Isaiah tells us. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, Isaiah says, all of us, all of us, have become like one who is unclean, all of us. 
and all of our, not God's, but our righteous deeds. All of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. Useless, of no value. You'll note that, that Isaiah wrote, not God's righteous deeds. You see, as, as I ask God to, to empty me of myself, as I ask God to, to allow me to, to speak here before you, and I, I, I'm not here to, to win any brownie points from anyone here. I am not doing this so that you'll build a, a shrine to me or whatever. I don't want any of that. I want to please God. And when I do that, and if and when I do that, then I am doing something righteous before my Lord. It's as if my Lord pats me on my bottom and says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Even last night, when I wanted to run from here and get as far away from preaching the gospel as anyone could be, and yet did it by faith, I believe when I was through, God said, Well done. Not, not that the message was good, just that I was faithful. But Isaiah says, when we try to do our own righteous deeds, they become like filthy rags. That's why the Bible tells you and me that, that all that we do, no matter what it is, do all that you do to honor the Lord your God, knowing that it's the Lord your God whom you serve, not mankind. Isaiah also wrote something that I would encourage you to memorize. In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 24, anticipating the provision that would be given through the coming Messiah, Isaiah declares that only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Let me repeat that. That is so beautiful to me. Only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. In other words, you and I have no strength in and of ourselves, And you and I have no righteousness in and of ourselves. That's only in the Lord where you and I will find the righteousness that will appease God. And that, we are told, comes through faith. So the glorious truth of the gospel is pure. This is what I wanted to read to you earlier. I don't know why, but in in doing this, I put it in the middle of the message. And so let me share it with you now. It's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Absolutely key to this whole message. Paul wrote these words. God made him, talking about his son, Jesus Christ. God made his son who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. So that you and I might become, watch this now, so that you and I would become the righteousness of God in Him, in His Son. God made His Son, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might be become the righteousness of God in and through Jesus Christ. That's where you get your righteousness. That's where I get our right, my righteousness. That's the knowledge that these people were fighting against. They wanted to get the righteousness in and of themselves by doing something good, something that would make God happy with them. God already said, I'm as happy with you as I can be because of my son. Take upon yourself his righteousness. But Israel became willfully ignorant of that, of God's provision. They became ignorant of their place of faith in God's plan for salvation. 
by stumbling over the stumbling stone, Jesus Christ. And they relied on their own works, just as it was said in chapter 9, verses 31 and 32. They didn't do it by faith. They, they rather did it by works, and they stumbled over Christ. Consequently, what they did was they cut themselves off from Christ They cut themselves off from the righteousness that he imparts to everyone who believes in him. People, to reject Jesus Christ is to forfeit the perfect righteousness that only he can provide in your life, in my life, in our lives. But once we come to trust in Christ, we receive the most gracious gift that God could ever give upon a person that we could never achieve on our own, by our own efforts, by our own works. Namely, He gives into your life of lives the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. God made His Son, who knew no sin, to be sin on your behalf, so that you might become the righteousness of God in and through Jesus Christ, His Son. It's the greatest, that's the greatest message of the Scriptures. Now, in verses 5 through 10, we have 10 minutes to finish these, but these fit together. They kind of all tie together very, very succinctly. Paul talks of ascending and descending into either heaven or hell, either to bring up the righteousness, that is, Christ, or to take him down to mankind. And Paul is saying, you don't have to do that. You don't have to go into heaven. You don't have to go into hell. It's as near to you as your mouth. It's as near to you as your heart. Let me read you, please, uh, verses 5 through 10 again. Please read with me. Chapter 10, verse 5. Verse 5 is really important. Moses writes, The person who practices the righteousness, which is based on the law, shall live by that righteousness. But, he says, Paul does, Verse 6, the righteousness based on faith speaks thus. Don't say in your heart, who will, descend, who will ascend into heaven? That is, who's going to bring Christ down? Or who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up. No, you don't need to say that. What does it say? What does the scripture say? It says the word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes, that results in righteousness, not salvation because righteousness is what you need. With the heart you believe, that gives you righteousness and with your mouth you confess, that gives you salvation. It's the most most amazing place. What Paul is quoting out of out of Romans chapter 10, verses 5, 6, and 7, is is out of Deuteronomy chapter 30. To verify this place of faith over works and how God's eternal plan for us, Moses writes these words. Verse 5. The person who practices the righteousness which is based on the law, this is what the Jews wanted, They shall live by that righteousness. Well, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that desperately, and neither do I. None of us do. 
Because the righteousness, which is based on the law, demands God's absolute perfection in every detail of the law. That's why Jesus Christ came and was perfect. He didn't falter on any, any place in it all in the law. He was perfect. Which led James, our Lord's half-brother, to write in James chapter 2, verse 10, this great truth, but yet it's, it's a warning he says, you want to live by the, by the law? Do you want to find your righteousness by the law? Remember, Moses says, the person who practices the righteousness which is based on the law is going to live by that righteousness. James writes, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point of the law, just one point, he becomes guilty of how much? Thank you. All. You try to keep the whole law, and yet you stumble in just one lousy point, just one simple point, you mess up. You become guilty of it all. So Moses says, if you want to practice your righteousness, which is based on the law, then you're going to live by that standard. And you mess up in one place, which, by the way, is impossible. And that's what God wants us to understand, to try to live by works or try to wake, make our way right before him so that he's pleased with what we do, it's a tremendous mistake. You can't do it. Because if you keep the whole law and stumble on one point, you become guilty of it all. But Paul says that's not the case for you and me. It's not our case at all. He says that salvation and righteousness is as near to you as your mouth and your heart. Now, here's a little wrestling match that I have. I'll, I'll let you know this. And I'm, I'm willing to do whatever you say here at this church. Because I, I have some people that say, you know, we should have altar calls more often. And I understand that feeling. I do. The, the problem with it is, and it's a, it's a small problem that I have, and I, I can get over the problem. I don't think altar calls are necessary at all. I just don't think that God works on that premise within Scripture. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. You want righteousness of God? You want salvation? It's as close as your mouth. It's as close as your heart. It's available, in other words, right where you are seated right now. A great many folks think they have to come up to the altar in some sort of a church or evangelical meeting to be saved. That's not true. Salvation is available to you right where you are. So you ask, how? How? How can I come to Christ right now? How can I know for certain that I have the righteousness of Christ flowing through me? How can I know for certain that I have salvation running through my soul? Paul says, look. Look at verses 9 and 10 again. Look at it closely. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be what? Saved. There's no, there's no uh, things that you have to do. Nothing added to that. Come to church, give, to, give money, do, do things, serve. None of those things are there. Just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. Because he says, verse 10, with your heart you believe. That results in, note, 
It doesn't result in salvation. That results in something far greater than salvation. That results in righteousness. You get the righteousness of Christ, which gives you peace with God so that you are right before God. And with your mouth, you there confess that results in salvation. You know what Paul is saying here? It's really interesting. He is saying that you need to, I need to, we need to bring into an agreement both our confession of our life, our hearts, and confession of our testimony, our mouth, they should be in harmony with one another. They should be living out the same thing. In other words, it's one thing for a person to say, I'm a believer. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior on March the 12th, 1973 in Honolulu, Hawaii. Three o'clock in the afternoon, I gave my heart to Christ. And then when I walk out from here, I, uh, I live a life that, that belies that testimony. I, I go out and I, I drink and I do whatever, whatever. I stood up to make a point with you right now. I did it in both the services. I want to do it again. I've done it before. And so if you've heard this story, please, please uh, bear with me. It is as real as anything I could think of concerning verses 9 and 10 of chapter, chapter 10. Living with your life in harmony with your confession, your heart with your mouth. We were doing chapel with, the only thing I'll tell you in this story that, that is relevant, I won't tell you the years, I won't tell you anything. It was a long, long time ago, though I'll tell you that. And when it was with the Dodgers, it was when my ministry was with the ballplayers in this, in this community. And we were having chapel services at the ballpark, uh, and, and we were coming and having chapel, and, and there was one guy in particular that I just noted that, that his language was, uh, in the chapel room he was fine. In the locker room, though, he would tell the most rudest jokes. And, and sometimes I would, he didn't know I was there and I could overhear him, you know, saying, you know, just gross stuff. And uh, some of the ballplayers that came to chapel came to me and said, we've got a problem. And I said, what is it? Well, saying so-and-so is, uh, man, his testimony for what we do here in the chapel room is, is just destroying us. I said, what do you mean? So on the road... He runs around on his wife. He has a, a girl in almost every town. Um, he's just terrible. I said, well, let's deal with it then. So we were having chapel that particular time, and uh, the guys were coming to chapel, and I, I stopped this person, and we walked down the, the, the kind of the inner workings of the stadium, down and nobody's down there. We went down, and he said, where are we going? I said, just for a walk. And we went for a walk, and I said, you want to do me a favor, please? And he said, sure, I'd do anything for you. You know that. I said, great. I said, stop coming to chapel, will you? He looked at me like, what do you mean, stop coming to chapel? He said, yeah, I don't want you coming to chapel anymore. He says, uh, I've been hearing how you, you talk. I've been hearing some of the things you say. It belies your faith in Christ. And some of the guys told me that that you're messing around on the road, that you're cheating on your wife, cheating on your kids, cheating on your marriage. I said, you know what you're doing? I said, you're just destroying the testimony that we have in this, this locker room for the cause of Jesus Christ. 
and we'd like for you not to come to chapel anymore. Now, I was prepared to get into a fist fight because I'd been in the locker room most of my life, and I know sometimes you don't want to put a guy, an athlete, in a corner. It's, it's not comfortable for them, and they will lash out. On the, on the contrary, what this guy did, he said, well, he says, uh, I don't think that's fair. And I said, yeah, we don't care what you think. Uh, we just don't want you to come to chapel because we were concerned about the guys in that locker room of coming to Christ. Following week, the Dodgers were still at home and we were having chapel and he got in touch with me. And, and uh, he came to me and he said, I want to ask your forgiveness. And I said, you don't need to ask my forgiveness. I said, I'm not your judge. I... Uh, I love you with all my heart. He says, nobody's ever talked to me like you did. I said, I don't think anybody loves you as much as I do. And I, uh, I want to see these guys come to Christ. And I thought you did too. He says, well, I want to ask the Lord to forgive me. And I said, well, then you've got, a, you've got a, quite a journey in front of you because... There's some guys in that locker room that need to hear you tell them that, they, that you were wrong. That's a hard thing for me to tell them. I said, but if you really want to be right with God, you need to get right with God. I can tell you with all sincerity that I still get Christmas cards. Kate and I still get Christmas cards from that guy and his wife. His original wife. And their two sons are now grown men. He now is either, I can't remember, either he is an elder or a deacon in his church. They live in another state, far from here. His wife is involved in ministry in the church. Both of his boys have come to Christ and they're going to get married to Christian women. And I'll tell you the truth, I feel pretty doggone good about that. Not that I did it, but to see what God did in a person's life. I tell you that story only to say this. I don't know how you live outside of these four walls. You don't know how I live. I will confess to you that pretty much what I say here is who I am outside these four walls. That's pretty much. But if you ever see me falling short, I would beg of you to come and rebuke me. I would beg of you to, in private, see if I won't repent and not be a, a hypocrite of my faith. I long for you to walk with Christ more than you'll ever know. I guess that's what God has placed on my heart with this love that I have for you that really confuses me, to be honest with you. I feel more comfortable doing what I did in a locker room than I did here. I can't imagine going to any of you here and saying to you, you got to leave the church. I, I, couldn't, I don't know that I could do that. It was nothing for me to do it in a locker room. I guess dealing with athletes was pretty simple for me because I was born with it. And I, I was ready to fight in a minute anyways. So I knew what that was like. But here, I long for you. I love you more than you'll ever know. If you're here this morning 
and you've never asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you don't know what the righteousness of Christ really means, and you're trying to be good enough to work your way to heaven, I want you to know that's impossible. You have no hope. You'll not do it. Come to Christ by faith. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You'll receive the righteousness of Christ the forgiveness of your sin, and you'll be saved. And that's all you have to do. You can do it right where you're seated. You don't have to walk up here and kneel before this beautiful cross. You don't have to. You can. That's a good thing about our faith. We can do that or not do that. I've talked enough. I want to tell you I love you more than you'll ever know. I want to thank you for the greatest privilege that any man could ever, ever have, and that's to be a part of this church with you and to kind of just love the Lord together with us and, and see, if, see how we're going to grow, see what the Lord's going to do in and through our lives. Thank you so much for being here today. Next week, the 180, our, our, our high school young people are going to conduct our, 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 the worship service, and they're going to do the music and stuff. So come, uh, bring someone, even if you, if, 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 come, don't, come and encourage them. Come and, and really fill this place up and, and applaud and whistle, do everything, really encourage our young people. So I just thought I'd tell you that ahead of time. Um, Lord, thank you for tonight, today I should say. Thank you for the, an opportunity to, to worship you and to, Oh, to hear Paul. Father, it's so much fun to listen to him teach. Man, just uh, an amazing, amazing person. And Lord, uh, would you please bless us as we go from here. Father, wherever you might take us, allow us to to serve you and, and allow our testimony to be in harmony with our walk. Please, Father, let us not be hypocritical in our faith. Let us be people who walk with you in purity. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.